The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. This podcast discusses cases in which a crime may have occurred. It's important to advise that all parties mentioned or generally referred to in this podcast are presumed innocent until proven guilty by law. Opinions expressed on this podcast don't necessarily reflect those of the podcast host, Murderish, or Cloud10 Media. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please do me a favor and stop here and then go back and listen to the previous episodes in order to get the full scope of this crazy story. This episode includes brief mention of suicidal thoughts as well as discussions of murderous thoughts detailing violent acts against another person. Listener discretion is advised. In previous episodes of Dirty Money Moves, we unfolded the story of Mary Carol McDonnell, a self-proclaimed heiress who got her hands on millions of dollars by lying and scheming. We dove into Mary Carol's childhood, her professional career in the TV business, some of her shady associates, and how she managed to get her hands on close to $50 million through elaborate scams, and then disappear. In this episode of Dirty Money Moves, you're going to hear a conversation I had with Jonathan Walton, TV producer and host of Queen of the Con podcast. Like Dirty Money Moves, Queen of the Con is also a podcast about female con artists. After listening to season one, I realized that Jonathan's con artist, Mayor Smith, shared a lot of similarities with Mary Carol McDonald. So I reached out to Jonathan and asked him to come on Dirty Money Moves so we could chat about the con artists we're investigating and the parallels that can be drawn between the two of them. If you've enjoyed learning about Mary Carol, you'll definitely want to hear about the woman who conned Jonathan and others out of tens of thousands of dollars. And guess what? She too claimed to be an heiress. I'm telling you guys, there needs to be a public service announcement about these freaking heiresses. Well, I guess that's what Jonathan and I are doing on our podcasts. Anyway, without further delay, please enjoy this conversation with Jonathan Walton, host of Queen of the Con. Hey, Jonathan, I want to welcome you to the show. I have been really looking forward to talking to you. You and I have been, uh, I think I slid into your DMs a while back after I heard your podcast, Queen of the Con, and it absolutely blew my mind. So oh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. And congratulations on the amazing podcast about Mary Carroll. My God, it was an <laughs> opener. And I'm impressed with all your research and, and the minutia and the granular detail of, of the bank fraud scams. I, have no, I had no idea it's so easy to commit bank fraud, apparently. You just need 
a couple of well-placed people, some forged documents and a couple of fake phone calls and bam. Yeah. And some pies, right? Yeah. I think the pies really sold it. The pies just really, really yeah. sold the bank on it. Damn pies. Of course, Yeah, exactly. No, you know, and I should say the same for you. So basically how this all kind of unfolded was, you know, I started doing dirty money moves and putting out episodes. And then I was like, well, you know what? Let me try to find other podcasts about like scam artists. And lo and behold, yours popped up. And I was like, wow, it's another female scam artist. She's in LA, you know? And so it was just so, and then I started to listen and there were just so many similarities between your con artist and I'm calling her yours, not that you own her because I'm sure you wouldn't want to <laughs> well, touch her with it. I kind of own her now, thank God. <laughs> Actually, you owned her ass in that sense. You I have did, yeah. owned her ass, which is amazing. But um, before we get into the similarities and some questions I have, so just kind of walk the listeners through who you are, your background and how you came upon producing this podcast. Yeah, the podcast is called Queen of the Con. And season one is the Irish heiress who it, it chronicles the story of how I got scammed by a professional con artist uh, out of close to $100,000, had to file for bankruptcy. It was like a major disaster in my life back in 2017 is when I realized it happened. And I produced a 10 episode podcast about it for iHeartRadio and interviewed, you know, I would go on to find dozens of victims of my con artist and ultimately I put her in jail. And that wasn't an easy thing to do. It was an uphill battle because, you know, as you see with, with Mary Carroll, the, the justice system bends over backwards, it seems, to afford every right to the accused, to the con artist, and, and not a lot of rights to the victim. So getting, getting criminal charges filed uh, for a con is hard because police turned me away and said, it's not a crime. You gave her the money. And I pushed back because what a preposterous notion. Isn't that every robbery? You give them the money. I mean, doesn't <laughs> it matter when it's by force or by trickery? Like it's yeah. such a dumb, but you know, the low level police taking the report, they, they kind of want to turn as many con victims away as possible because in their mind, that's a civil issue. Mm-hmm. You need to go to civil court. Don't clog up the police station with this tomfoolery. People are lying dead in a gutter somewhere. Go to civil court, leave us alone. But they're wrong because in California, anything over $1,000 is considered grand theft. And it doesn't matter if they lied to get the money or held you up at gunpoint to get the money. They stole your money and it's a crime and police should get involved. It's just, you know, convincing them of that is, is hard each and every time. So I had a hard fight for justice. It took two years to bring my con artist to jail. And in that time, I uncovered 46 other victims all over the world Wow. Including her own daughter. She scammed her own family, which just makes me, and you know, another similarity to Mary Carroll, um, even, even mob bosses who commit heinous crimes and, and murder people, they love their family, right? So true. They so look true. out for their family, their, their moms, their dads, their daughters, their sons. But con artists really don't give a flying F You're right. about anyone. If it gets in the way of them getting money, they will screw over and con their own family. So and what's the psychology behind that? So you bring up such a great point because I am right. obsessed with like mob crimes and, and mob families and things like that. And it's like, I don't know if it's just in the movies or what, but I don't, I suspect not. I've covered a few cases of mobsters on murderish and you're right. Like they hold their families in the highest regard for the most part. But these con artists, like what is the psychology difference between 
the mob boss, you know, or the guys who are out doing the killing and like a Mary Carol and a Mayor Smith who really don't give a shit about using their own kids for a con, even if it puts their kids in a really crappy position, you know, that that is that would be interesting to dive into that. Yes, that is a great point. And I've been studying this for years now because ever since going public with my story, literally hundreds of victims of other con artists have reached out to me for help, you know, inspired by my story of triumph and vindication. So I, in my downtime, I hunt con artists, you know, so I've been studying them for years and I can tell you 99.9% of all con artists are psychopaths. They're not sociopaths, they're psychopaths. Psychopaths are born, sociopaths are made. Candice DeLong, I love that. You learned so much. Yes, <laughs> yes. Both, both share the fact that they have no remorse, guilt, feeling for other people or empathy. They have that in common. But where they diverge is sociopaths are usually the result of a traumatic childhood, some kind of abuse that happened. And sociopaths, their crimes aren't planned. Their crimes usually result out of anger. They lose their temper. Someone pisses them off and they do something horrible that a regular person wouldn't do because a sociopath has no scruples, morals, uh, empathy, or feeling for anyone else. But a psychopath is a brilliant sociopath. Yes, they don't have feelings or morals or empathy, but they, they plan scams and their crimes for years, and they usually get away with them for a long time because they're smart. So they don't react in rage, you know, quite the opposite. Everything is calculated. And that was my con artist, the Irish heiress, season one of Queen of the Con podcast, wherever you get your podcast. <laughs> and Mary Carroll in your podcast, a definite psychopath. Look how even bringing the pies, that's a psychopath move. She knows what a, 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 a loving, kind woman is supposed to look like. Yeah. And she knows how to impersonate one. So she's going to put the mask on and bring the props, i.e. the pies in this case, and, and trick everyone. Oh, what a lovely woman. And she knew. What, what kind of kindness and, and sweetness that would engender from you people. And it did. You and it all did. thought, oh, what a lovely person. It disarms you. It yes. absolutely disarms you. And I learned that this is something that she did, not only to us at the bank, this is her shtick. This is yeah. part of her scam. And like you said, those were her props. And it works. And something so simple as that, you'd be surprised at how far that goes in disarming the people around you. Yeah, because we're all really, human, you know, we live in yeah. a society and we're all social and we like to be around other people and we like to like people and have a good time. And con artists are brilliant at, at being liked. You know, they're charismatic. They're outgoing. They're fun. My con artist, the Irish heiress, I met her. She moved into my building and we became fast friends and she was lovable. She was fun. She, she had told dirty jokes as she started unpacking her story of how she was, you know, fighting her family for this inheritance. And when I told her that part of my family had disowned me for being gay, she pounced and she said, well, my family disowned me too, because mm -hmm. they're trying to get me disinherited. And immediately I formed just an irrevocable bond with her because, you know, we're two discarded souls now here in LA from different parts of the world whose families don't want them. So we became each other's family. She was like a sister to me. And that's how she got in my life. But as I began uncovering victim after victim after victim, I discovered she had a unique con for every other victim based on what their situation was. You know, uh -huh. for Bob, the engineer in Newport Beach, he had a bad custody arrangement with his children. And she immediately tricks him on, on their first date. She met him on Tinder saying, well, 
I'm a, I'm a 730 expert for the courts, which is a, a child custody investigator. And I can help you get a better custody arrangement with your kids. So, of course, Bob loved her immediately. Like, she wants to help. You know, she entered everyone's life offering to help. And Mary Carroll, in a way, Mary Carroll is much more dangerous because my con artist and a, you know, a full-time con artist, they're literally nothing they say is real. It's all smoke and mirrors till they get the money and disappear. Mary Carroll had a home court advantage, if you will. Mm-hmm. She had a foot in the legitimate world. She was a television executive. She, she produced tons of shows. She was respected. So it would be the furthest thing from anyone's mind to think she's a con artist. No, no, no. She's a TV producer. She's got a big company. She's a success. And that helped her. That got her in all those bank meetings. That got, Tremendously. Her, meetings. That yeah. got her to trick people into giving her money to invest, you know, because she seems like this success. And she was. You know, for a long time, she was a TV exec and sold shows and had companies, but secretly, and I guess, you know, as best I can figure, she's plotting her fantasy the whole time is to make a big, is to make a big haul and just disappear. And that's what she did. And, and that is what it, you 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 nailed it. And that's exactly right. I mean, and that is what fascinates me most about Mary Carroll is that not only is she female as your con artist is, which is a lot more rare. But mm-hmm. she had and she had legitimacy. She could have done things the right way. That was fascinating to me, but she didn't. And but also that is what really, really helped her because you're absolutely right. She's the last person. She's not just this person who just was dropped from you know the sky that like had to really work to gain people's like trust. Like my con artist, yeah. Yes, like you're like Mayor Smith, exactly. But Mary yeah. Carroll already had it. And she's like she, everybody, you know, saw her in her Porsche and her home and you know, winning these Emmys. And she had, so yeah, it really, really gave her that trust factor right away. Cause she's the last person that anybody would expect. And it's just absolutely fascinating to me that Mary Carol, you know, she could have done things the right way she could have, but, yeah. but I, I, she could have, but then I also wonder, did she, did she lack the skills it took to actually run a business successfully, but she knew how to pretend and make people think she did, you know, because I don't know if she actually was good at her job. I mean, she was. there was a time her company produced a bunch of shows and she it was did. making a lot of money, you know? So I do believe she had those skills, but in episode nine of my podcast, Queen of the Con, uh, we interviewed a guy named Buddha Noah, who's kind of like a, uh, a spiritual advisor slash psychic. And he said the most profound thing to me that never occurred to me before. And I think, I think it applies to Mary Carroll. And I think it applies to most con artists, if not all. Um, it's not about the money for most of them. That's not what thrills them. The money is secondary and the money is important, yes. But what con artists get off on, and certainly mine did and Mary Carroll did, is you know, th- theater, is, 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 is drafting unwitting accomplices like you and me as actors mm-hmm. and, and creating a plot and a storyline and tricking everyone into participating in their play. Mm-hmm. And they get off on watching everyone believe them and seeing how far they can get with this con and that con and seeing how many people they can get to believe that lie and this lie. It makes them feel powerful. Mm-hmm. In every con artist case I've been investigating for the past four years, that is an underlying theme for all of them. They enjoy, you know, you and I are regular people. Uh, we would go crazy thinking about all these lies we have to keep spinning. You know, how, how do you separate them? How do you track them? But quite the opposite for a Mary Carroll or a Mayor Smith, my con artist, they love that. 
It fills them. It's like jumping out of an airplane for them. It's an adrenaline rush. They get excited thinking, look how many people I fooled. <laughs> and know? that's what they get off on. See, now what you just yeah. said makes so much sense to me because that's one of the questions I get asked all the time. And I ask as well is, I, I just don't understand how they could keep it all going, keep track of it, this web, this complex process of scams and how that, you know, so how they pull it all off and keep it all together for so many years, such a complex scam process, but it's because they want to, that's part of what they get off on is the complexity of it. And like, look what I'm pulling off. Look what I've orchestrated. It's look so at these dumb fucks who have no they, idea. Yes. They, they're yeah. so above us. And would you say, I mean, I don't know, you know, if you consider yourself an expert at this point, but you know, would you yeah. say that most scam artists are, are narcissists as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, just this need for grandiosity. Like, yeah. I am, I am so much about you. My private investigator's license. So, I mean, I am Amazing. kind of an expert because I've been, I'm an expert. I'm a better expert than most cops because cops, no one really investigates these cases. You know, they kind of uh, throw them to the side or recommend you go to civil court or kind of, in every case I'm investigating, the victims are initially turned away. Mm-hmm. That is the, that's another common theme. Every cop turns victims away. I was turned away. But the trick is, you and you know i learned this as a tv producer um you got to pitch your case like a tv show like you're pitching to a network because just going to the police station saying i got scammed she stole ninety thousand dollars from me and she tricked me they don't give a fuck they don't care you know in their mind someone's lying dead somewhere they need to go deal with that go to civil court good luck but you got to write up a detailed affidavit you got to have you got to pitch your case in a line then then a paragraph and then you got to unpack evidence, bank records, phone records, text messages, emails. You have to build their case for them. So you make it crystal clear. Look, this is a compelling case of theft. Here's all the evidence I've amassed. Go. Your job is much easier now. Then they'll take you seriously. That's turned the tide in a lot of cases I'm working on. When I send the victims back after arming them with you know, an affidavit, a simple thing. You know, If you don't know how to write up an affidavit, there are tons of YouTube videos that'll teach you. That's very simple. It's just a who, what, when, where, why in short, concise sentences divided into numbered paragraphs mm-hmm. and witness statements. If there are witnesses who saw this or witnessed something, get a sworn statement from them, get it notarized, bring in all the bank records, phone records, emails, texts that prove you got scammed. You have to build a case for police because they're not going to do it of their own volition. They'll just turn you away. Well, I think you make a great point. And I also wonder about, you know, building their case for them. And I wonder if part of that is I, what kind of training do local law enforcement even get on white collar crimes? I mean, is most of their training, I mean, I would imagine most of their training is robbery, homicide, like stuff like that, like big stuff. But what kind of real training is there if somebody like you walks in and says, I've been scammed for a hundred, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. Help me. I don't think there is a lot of training and, you know, uh, there's so many scam cases that come at them that they can't take them all. They don't have the man power or the woman power, or what's the politically correct term? The person <laughs> power. They don't have the person power to oh, thank you for that. Thank to you. To investigate. That. You know, <laughs> I can tell you a funny story. Um, I was doing Airbnb many years ago when it just started and you could like make a ton of money. And one of my guests had left, they they rented my place to to run fake credit cards, to make fake, fake credit cards, right? Because they moved all the furniture around. And when I got back in, all the furniture was a little askew and stuff was in the wrong place. And I could tell like all this stuff was moved and moved back. But in their, in their wake, they left a stack, like a 10 inch stack of blank credit cards 
and a 10 inch stack of driver's licenses, like dozens and dozens of them. And they were rubber banded together and it was left on the top of my closet, like hidden. They must've forgot to take it with them. I called police. Each time I called the police department, uh, each cop I was recommended, recommended me to someone else. Mm-hmm. And finally they said, you should call financial crimes, blah, blah, blah. I call financial crimes and the financial crimes person's like, listen, I don't have the bandwidth to do anything. You need to, you need to go to the police station and force them to take a report. I'm like, force them to take a report? Who the hell am I? I'm not the Terminator. How do I force them to do anything? You just got to bring Mary Carol's pies. Yeah. Get it done. Get it done with the pies. Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, I never reported it. I mean, I tried to report it, but nobody would take a report and I gave up. That is so frustrating. But it was evidence. You know, there were fingerprints on those cards, I am sure. And it could have they could have investigated, but they were so overwhelmed because there's so much fraud. And that's the reality of things. It just, and and honestly, even cases that are much more serious than, you know, the operation you just talked about, where somebody actually got hurt or harmed. A lot of times those fall by the wayside, I would imagine after a while, because it's just a lack of resources, leads run out and they have to move on. The cases keep piling up and piling up. And that is just the reality of our justice system. And victims don't know. And I learned this by going through it. Victims are never told by anyone that the onus is on them to to be the arbiter of their case, to be the biggest supporter of their case, to work the hours and hire a private investigator if you have to. I hired six mm-hmm. to push your case through because, you know, no one's going to pull you aside and say that you have to do that. But trust me, you have to do that. You have to be the biggest champion of your case and you have to call every day and be a pain in their ass. So they know the only way that cop is going to get my case off his desk is to either dismiss it which is impossible because of the amount of evidence I provided him with, or just move it along to the next level and get it charged and get it out of his desk. And ultimately, thank God, that's what he did. But even when my case, so my con artist got charged and you know, court dates start happening as we, we lead up to a trial, it took a year and like 20 something court appearances. And the DA, there were six deputy DAs who handled my case. The one who ultimately tried it told me one day, it's like, listen, Normally, people in your situation just stop coming to court and we have to drop the case because we can't prosecute without a victim, a willing victim. And, you know, we all saw that with the when Will Smith uh, slapped Chris Rock, you know, that was a crime. We all saw it. Millions of people saw it. But because Chris Rock didn't want to press charges, there is no crime. Will Smith's not going to get charged with anything. And that's how the system works. So. I assured the DA, no, 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 I'm coming to every one of these. I don't care how much work I miss. At this point, I want justice. But a lot of victims just get tired of showing up. It's, it's grueling and mm-hmm. it's haphazard. You know, there's a court date on Tuesday and then, and then Monday night, you get a call. Actually, the date changed to Thursday. So all the plans you made to allow for time on Tuesday for court, you have to upend everything and make plans again for Thursday. You know, it's just, it's rough on, the system is so hard on victims. I had it no really- idea until I was one. Well, you found it out. You found it out the hard way, but it turns out it absolutely worked out. And your tenacity, you are somebody who is very clearly tenacious. And I don't know if that's from your producer days or whatever, but like even when you hung, you know, even when you handed out like hundreds of flyers in your apartment complex, right? When the apartment, you know, took away the pool and everybody was pissed off and you're like, hey, want the pool back? Here's a flyer. Come meet me here. Let's band together and get the pool back. So you are somebody who has that in your DNA. And, yeah. and, it, and it tipped both ways. Like, I, you know, we, I saw while listening to Queen of the Con that 
you know, you you damn near lost relationships over your oh, yeah. obsession Everyone with thought your, I was crazy. That yeah. you're crazy, Everyone you were spending me. too much time on it. Yeah. But it but it also and was I was, but that's what it takes. Yes. Listen, nothing great is achieved without obsession. That's mm-hmm. the sad truth of the human condition. If you want, you know, anything hard, you have to obsess about whether it's losing weight or making a bunch of money, it has to become an obsession or you'll never achieve it. And I had to hide my obsession a few months after I started because my husband, my, my close friends, my family were all insisting I let it go. It's ruining me. It's taking away my joy. And it was, but I just couldn't let it go. So you saw I, the finish line. You, you yeah, had a goal. Well, yeah, there had to be a finish line. I don't know if I saw the finish line, but I'm like, I'm not letting this bitch go. I'd rather <laughs> Good fucking for you. Not. Well, let's talk about this bitch. Tell us, tell us about Mayor Smith, that the woman who tell it. I mean, I know about her because I've listened to your podcast, but like, tell us who the hell is this bitch and what is her status today? <laughs> well, she's so many people to so many people. Um, so I didn't really believe con artists exist before I met Mayor Smith. I thought growing up watching TV shows and movies, it's just a fun device, a plot like Yes, I knew there were phone scams where they try to trick you to get your credit card number or checking account info, or there are like links people email you from Nigeria to try to get you inheritance or whatever. Like I knew those were clearly scams and those exist and I believe those were real. But I never really believed con artists like Mayor Smith or Mary Carroll. Like there are people in your life who you know, who you think you know, who you swear you know, but Nothing about their life is true. And that was the case when I met Mayor Smith. She was a new neighbor in my building back in, 20, in May of 2013. And she seemed like a professional. She worked at this luxury travel agency. And I met her because we lost our pool. You know, we have this nice pool downtown and we lost it with a legal dispute over with another building. And she showed up at you know, a, a cocktail party I had with, for dozens of residents to band together to try to organize them you know, to try to get our pool back. And she took control of the meeting. She regaled everyone with stories of growing up in Ireland. And she told dirty jokes and she, she had a big loud laugh and she looked sophisticated. She had piercing blue eyes and, you know, everyone fell in love with her that night. I did more than most. And she would end up scamming not only me, but a couple of other neighbors who were there that night, but that was her in into our lives. She was what FBI criminal profiler Candace DeLong calls a rescue merchant. Mm. They offer to help you. That's how they get into your life. That was her shtick. Every victim she ultimately scammed, the scam started with an offer to help. And you know what I just realized that I wish I had the foresight or realized earlier to put into my Queen of the Con podcast, but I didn't because I just it just dawned on me recently. And you'll appreciate it because you listen to the Queen of the Con podcast, so you know mm-hmm. the story. Um, that same mayor targeted me in a sense. She targets everyone, but, but the special con that I inspired her to create for me was based on help. She saw that I was kind of a do-gooder because I went out of my way to post flyers up. She saw that I wanted to fight an injustice. And she ended up using that desire, that innate desire of mine that I've always had, that I've always acted on. She used it to scam me. 
Yes. She tricked me into helping her get justice. Against this family, right? Who's after yes, her. Yes, because her evil Irish family was trying to get her disinherited. And she would show me texts and emails from her barristers and from her, her cousin Finton and Deermude and Tristan, you know, calling her the C word and telling her you'll never get a dime, you know. And over the course of our four-year friendship, I it never occurred to me that, I mean, how many times has someone held up a cell phone and said, oh, look what so-and-so just texted. Did you ever think for a second that they created a Google account to text themselves so they can sell you some crazy story they're telling? Yeah, of course not. It never occurred to me. So I believed everything. And over the course of our year, our four-year friendship, I, I loaned her close to $100,000 in an effort, and I feel dumb for even saying this out loud, in an effort to help her get her inheritance. Right. You know, I believe she was an Irish heiress you know, when we met, she had a strange accent, which I just, oh, like that's Irish American. She's been living here for many years. I, I fell for everything. And I'm happy to admit that because I think it helps people. Uh, it helps take the shame out of it because a lot of victims I talk to, one of the funniest things I notice again and again and again and again, and I think it's part delusion, you know, and I know delusion, you know, I'm a gay man. I didn't come out till I was 30. So for 30 years, I really didn't believe I was gay. I thought I just hadn't met the right woman. You know, mm -hmm. I had this Disney-esque idea of love and that if I met the right woman, all of this gay stuff would go away and I'd live happily ever. Like, I really believe that. But now looking back, I was delusional. That was a delusion I created to protect myself because I couldn't handle being gay. Like, you know, and ultimately I nearly took my own life because I didn't want to be gay. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. But I understand delusion. And a lot of victims I talk to tell me things like, well, you know, I suspected something was up. Uh, I knew something wasn't right. I'm like, no, you didn't. You gave her the money. You're telling me you wrote a check for $10,000 and handed it over and you suspected something was wrong. Right. Like, you're delusional. That, that's bullshit. <laughs> of course you believed it. You gave her money. That's you believed it that much. You put money, you know, like, but, but victims are delusional in, in, in an attempt. I, I, I believe to protect themselves because they can't come to grips that they got fooled. Yeah. So and what's that the end, saying? They want to say, well, I suspected something was off. No, you didn't. Yeah, no, you fell right into it. What is yeah. that saying that, um, and I don't know who says it, it's easier to scam somebody than to convince them that they've been scammed. Oh, it's a Mark Twain quote. Yeah. Thank you. It's easier to fool people than yeah. it is to convince them they've been fooled. That's yep. right. Yes. That's right. And, and honestly, I believe that to be true. Mm -hmm. It is so difficult after the fact to convince them because you, you don't want to believe that you could let yourself down to that degree. Like your, your own instincts let, could let you down to that degree and you would yeah. give up all this money and looking back on it, hindsight is twenty twenty, and you're like, you know, how stupid am I to do this? You know, people, people think that, and I think that's part yeah. of the stigma of it, but the yeah. reality is that we're all human and there is, there is something in us innately as humans that we fall into these scams over and over well, and it's, over it, they're, they're confidence tricks, right? It has to do with trust because society would grind to a halt without trust. And there have been tons of studies in, in, in major universities all over the world where they divide people into groups and they assign them a task. And they find again and again and again that the group who trusts one another and, and, and uses trust in each other to move ahead outperforms by dozens of times the groups that uh, don't trust each other and want to work alone. You know, there's that famous saying, you can, you can, you know, only go so far by yourself, but you can go much further in, in a group with everyone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you go to valet park your car at, at a restaurant, you just have to trust that person in the red vest with a ticket 
is a valet parker or they're going to steal your car. But nine out of 10 times, they're not going to steal your car. They do work. Although there are those scams where people steal cars that way. But, you know, when there's a knock at the door, you trust it's the UPS guy. Right. Um, if you didn't, you wouldn't open your door. You wouldn't leave your house. You know, so society functions by trust. When you go to the doctor, they have the lab code. But do you know they're a doctor? Have you seen the degree? No, you trust. It seems like a, a setup for a doctor's office. So, yeah, they're a doctor. But, you know, so con artists know that these are visual cues they can use to trick people. So when a new neighbor, in my case, says she's from Ireland, why would I doubt that? When she says she's fighting over her, you know, 25 million euro inheritance, why would I doubt that? When she shows me texts and emails from all these different characters, I, I, I never imagined they could be all fake. I trusted they were real and I acted on it. And that's how con artists move about in the world. You're right. And falling for a con has nothing to do with your intelligence. Oh, because exactly. in the example of Mary Carroll, she was able to scam millions of dollars out yeah. of high powered attorneys, a publicly traded uh, financial institution that's worth a few billion dollars in assets. Very yeah. smart people that work. So these people are not stupid. They are highly intelligent people and they fell for her scams. And some of them gave money. And then there were some like red flags looking back on it. You know, she didn't give the money back right away or didn't give any of it back. She got them to invest again. Mm -hmm. So, and actually that brings me to another, so there's so many commonalities, which that is what really struck me and made me want to slide into your DMs and go, oh my gosh, Jonathan, <laughs> we got to talk. Like your yes. con artist and my con artist have so many commonalities. Yeah. And one of them is that, and I think this is common among con artists is that they reel you in by giving you some of your money back. So like when you wetting bailed, your beak. yes, yes, they wet your beak. So you bailed Mayor Smith out. She yeah. gave you your money back that you yeah. spent on bailing her out. $200 paid me back the next day. That's right. So now you're like, oh my God, she's totally trustworthy. I'd give her $10,000 next time. No problem. And, and, and you yeah. did. And that's exactly <laughs> what they do. They come at you for 5,000 in the beginning. You know, they pay it back to you. And then down the road, they play the long game. Hey, Jonathan, you know what? Hey, I need another quick 30K. Listen, I'm in this kind of trouble. Can you give it to me? Of course, she's, you gave it. She gave the money back to you last time. Yeah. That's when they get you. They ask for more money a second time and then they don't give it back. And that's kind of, they wet your beak. I like how you put that. Yeah, that is a definite sign. You know, I wrote this article, which I'm, 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 I, I had it on the internet, but I took it off because uh, some book agents contacted me. So they want to sell a book about the article. Seven red flags. There's a con artist in your midst. Because these are the red flags I've gleaned, not only from my case with Mayor Smith, the Irish heiress, but from all the other con cases I'm investigating. There are seven commonalities. One of them is the beak wedding. And the beak wedding is in, can happen in, in a love scam or any kind of money-making scam. Uh, they, they, you see some of your money back up front. So you feel confident continuing down the road. My entire family got scammed by, uh, and this is funny, he had the same last name, a guy named David Smith back in 2003. Oh, these damn and, Smiths. Ah, avoid a Smith. No, uh, no. God, <laughs> God bless all the Smiths. They're right. not all people. It's just these two <laughs> who happened to scam me and my family. But um, this guy was a foreign exchange trader and he wooed my family into believing, you know, he, he could give them 10% on their money per month. And for a while, once they gave, you know, my family collectively, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins, lost more than a million dollars to this guy. Wow. Because once they gave him the money, 
he would show them statements online. He had like a whole website. Yeah. Look how your money is appreciating. And he would make the payments. They'd get 10% of their money every month. So they believed it was legit, but really it was a classic Ponzi scheme where other investors were constantly coming in. And then another red flag, scarcity. One day this guy says, all right, I'm not taking any more new clients. Gotcha. You're too much trouble. No more new clients. So once word got out that he wasn't accepting new clients. Everybody wants them. Everybody wants in. So they were giving their family members who were in already, here's 100,000, here's 200,000, can you invest it for me? It was an onslaught of millions of dollars. And ultimately this guy got caught uh, and he ended up stealing more than $220 million from everyone. But classic con techniques, they use the same techniques. And if you don't know what they are, you'll fall for them because they're convincing and they work. You're right. And, you know, Mary Carol checks both of those first two boxes. She mm-hmm. definitely wet the beak, paid some money back, yeah. made, made herself seem legitimate and then scammed them out of even more money down the road. But she also did the um, scarcity tactic. Yes. There's one guy who reached out to me who shall remain anonymous. He <laughs> luckily saw the writing on the wall, was like, you know what? Something's not right here. But she asked him to invest in uh, her family trust. And when she when he said no, She kept going. She kept going. She really was known for not taking no for an answer. And her final line was him. Look to him was something like, uh, I'd hate to see your family miss out on such a the the family trust is about to close. It's about to close. Don't you want to just get one last opportunity? You're really doing your family a disservice. That's what she said. You know, so it's so scarcity like that. So scarce. The trust is the trust is about to close. You better do it. You know, while it's still still here, act fast. And so she checks both those boxes. Another thing I will add uh, that you really got to look out for, and I think there's this might be your eighth ticked box, but um, baked goods. Because <laughs> your con artist gave you she Irish bacon. You know, I never thought of that. <laughs> yes. And mine she gave me loved baking stuff, but yeah. she actually baked. Okay. So she actually did bake. See, with Mary Carol, I have a source who says she did love to bake, which made me think those pies were homemade. Then I have two other sources who've reached out to me and said, hell no, those things were not homemade. She, there was a bakery up the street that she always went to. She always told people she baked the pies, but really she bought them from this bakery, but who knows? But yeah, I thought that was funny. That's just one of the many commonalities. Yeah. I mean, they both they do it to be more, to, to be more likable, to be more lovable, to, you know, make you, make you like them. And oh, she baked me pies. Mare would love to bake a thing, an Irish thing called soda bread, which was really good. And she did fudge. Oh my God. She baked like 20 different kinds of fudge. It was so good. Um, but yeah, that was part of the con. That was part of her exterior portrayal of uh, a good human being. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. They know how to mimic a good human being. And they do, because they the learned same early on. In, in, in the podcast, Queen of the Con, I caught up with her childhood friend, if you recall, uh, a girl named Jen Westwood, a woman named Jen Westwood, who was a girl when she bore witness to bear witness to one of Mare's earliest scams. So Mare is like an 11, 12 year old Jen Westwood's like an 11 or 12 year old. And Mare at that age tricks this little girl into going into a stranger's house, trying on a stranger's clothes and taking a picture. And for what, for, for what there, there was no money to gain, but this is a psychopath as a child, they're getting off early on. Ooh, can I trick this girl? into going into doing these crazy things without question. And yes, she, she could, and she did, and she improved upon it. That's why, you know, and Mary Carol, I think, and Mare were similar ages. Um, yes, I was going to say that too. The older they right. get, the better they get. 
Yes. Mayor has been busted as a teenager. She was telling neighbors she had cancer and raising money as, as a teenage girl. Tell, you know, don't tell anyone I have cancer. I'm ashamed, but I, I need money for treatment. Don't tell anyone because I don't want anyone to know. So for a while, she collected money from her neighbors and, and friends' parents, um, but she didn't have cancer. You know, that scheme was up one day when one of the, one of the parents went, came to her mother's like, I'm so sorry, your daughter has cancer. My daughter doesn't have cancer, like, uh, you know, and, and the jig was up at that point. But they're so they're, she was a young psychopath. And the older they get, the more times they get caught, the better they get. Mm-hmm. So by the time I met her, she was 42 and she was the best she, she'd ever been when she laid her con out for me brilliantly. There's so many similarities, too. I mean, also, you know, Mayor Smith, she lived and operated her scams for the in large part in Los Angeles. And so did Mary Carroll. And I also saw, you know, you're a TV producer and mm-hmm. many of the people that Mary Carroll scammed and didn't pay at Bellum Entertainment are all TV producers, people in the TV business. Yeah, I remember so when all TV this was going element. down. Yeah, I, a lot of my friends were posting on Facebook, don't work for Bellum. I haven't been paid in two months. Don't work, you know. She yes. ended up scamming so many people I know. And I, I know the guy you interviewed briefly, Kevin Barry. I worked with Kevin Barry on UFO Hunters uh, and a couple of other shows. And yeah, so I, I know people who got scammed by her. Uh, I just had no idea the depths. I, like ultimately, she got away with $40 million from banks, right? Yeah, she got away with, we think it's, it's actually closer to $50 million. Wow. Those are her total scams from financial institutions, as well as individuals who invested in her family trust in air quotes. Yeah. Right. $50 million. To me, My it God. is absolutely staggering. And it just like, you know, like we talked about, it's just was such a complex scheme that just worked over and over and over until the very end. She got, she had her biggest get yet at Bank of California yeah. and then she left. So, and one of the things that I am so envious of with you and your con artist, thanks to your work and your tenacity, she did jail time. Now, obviously I was very pissed off to hear when she got out and we could talk about her current Uh, status. That that made me like scream out loud, like you've got to be effing kidding me. Now I'm just, but I'm glad that you at least got that opportunity to see her in court, see her convicted, see her behind bars. We don't know where my, I call her my con artist. I was well, a I mean, con writer, but I mean, yeah, my con artist who I'm obsessed yeah. with, she hasn't done any time and she's been on the run. She was indicted on several, uh, seven federal charges three plus years ago. Mm-hmm. And we don't know where she is. And it's, it's app. That's my obsession. Now we've told the story. I know a lot about her now. I've answered all my own questions and investigated her and researched her, but I want to know where she is. And I want to see justice. Yeah. More yeah, I want too. to see her perp walked. now here goes my whole like tv fantasy right like (laughs) i want to see mary carol in this horrible outfit and i want to see her perp walked no makeup on not no curls handcuffed yeah uh porsche being you know repoed by the bank all those things but um, it's a very satisfying feeling and it's also very healing you know getting a conviction in my case was like 80 percent of the healing i went through and i hope you get that one day i hope all the victims you know, live to see that. But I tell you, it's a, it's a tough road to hoe because the system just seems stacked against you. White collar crimes are so relegated. Yeah. And I don't think they should be because even though no one's dead, when you cripple someone financially and even like your bank that you worked for, like people got fired. 
yes. over this. They lost their livelihoods. They and did. How do you put a put a, you know, yes, they're not dead, but in a certain a certain part of them died. You know, that's devastating. The trauma that is inflicted when somebody is scammed out of a ton of money or they lose their job because of a con artist, the reputational trauma, you know, damage Uh, it does. They have to go home and tell their wives like what happened and the disappointment Uh, and how am I going to get my next job? Am I going to have to explain that I got fired and and all these things? So it I can say from firsthand knowledge that it was absolutely traumatic to these individuals. Happy to say they've moved on. They've got great careers and they're doing well today. Absolutely. And they, you know, we've all learned so much, but, but, you know, the, the attorneys that her friends, her colleagues who she stole a few million dollars from that they will Uh, probably never get back. What does that do to them in their marriage? Right. Uh, What does that do? And a lot of marriages in, in, so, you know, queen of the con, there's another season. (laughs) Oh yes. And I'm, I'm listening. About Lizzie Mulder, but there's, an episode that hasn't dropped yet, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about it. Uh, ultimately, Lizzie Mulder finds out, you know, the FBI is investigating and she pleads guilty. And uh, so there's not a hearing, but there's a sentencing hearing. There's not a trial, but she goes to a federal sentencing hearing where, you know, the victims say how devastated they are. And one of the victims who I never got to interview and never heard from told the court that after getting scammed, her husband divorced her. And she believes that it's because of the financial strain Lizzie Mulder's scam caused that caused. I believe it. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I mean, my husband and I fought a lot over this, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, So yeah, when, when you're scammed, your spouse, husband or wife, or in between is going to react one way or another, either supportive or they're going to be angry or blame you for making such a humongous mistake. How could you do this to us? Yeah. So yeah, it puts a hell of a strain on any marriage and not all of them survive. And how do you quantify that? You know, yeah. and not to mention the self, I hate to use this word, but like the self self-loathing oh, yeah. that you go through, like the self blame that you go through, like, what the fuck was I thinking? Why about, how could I be so stupid? How could I, you know, these are words that, the, that these victims use. And it's like, and I hate it because like you just, I want to flip the script and let's talk about this shitty character over here, Mary Carol, Mary yeah. Smith, Let's flip the script and talk about them. Let's not, you know, talk because so many human beings, intelligent, intelligent and otherwise, they fall for these scams. So it's yeah. not that you're stupid. It's yeah, just a they, they, human they nature. This time and time again, it's con artists don't outsmart you. Con artists outfeel you. Mm. They use your emotions to scam you. Because once you start making decisions, you know, based on your heart, based on how you feel, your, your brain kind of checks out and, and logic no longer applies. I mean, you'll bend over backwards to defend someone you love or care about. And, you know, that's how, that's how they get in. The other thing I'll share with you that I've never shared before, because I was, I was reluctant to ever talk about this publicly, but now I'm like, you know, I'll tell you Mm -hmm. and your listeners. Uh, Another thing this did to me uh, that freaked my buddy Evan out, who was in the podcast um, for the first, you know, four or five months, I was having elaborate murder fantasies. Mm, okay. And I'm a vegetarian. Like <laughs> I'm a live and let live. Like I don't even kill cockroaches. I put them in a cup and a paper, a piece of mail and take them outside and release them into the wild. Like yes. I'm a no kill. Like I'm an animal rights guy, you know, mm-hmm. but I, 
I, for months, I was reveling in these explicit murder fantasies. One of them, I would strangle my con artist until I saw the life drift out of her eyes. Wow. And I loved it. Like it brought me joy. Yes. And another one, I would throw her off our building from the 20th floor and watch her body splat on the ground. Yeah. And another one, I hope I'm not freaking you out. You're not. <laughs> I, I, host one, a, I host a podcast. I called her downstairs so by her hair and watch her body tumble as she broke her neck and died. Like for months, these were in a way sustaining me. So I'm telling my buddy Evan about it. And he's looking at me like I, like he's seen a ghost. Like, I don't know who you are, Jonathan. You need help. You need to see a shrink. Like this is not normal. You and could have done those wrong. things if you really wanted to, but those were just dreaming about it and having fantasies about right. it and actually acting out are two totally different things. It is. And, and I didn't realize until I was looking into seeing a shrink, uh, it's totally normal for victims of crimes to fantasize about hurting their perpetrators. That's a normal coping mechanism a lot of victims go through and it eventually went away. And in my case, it went away after like five months uh, on its own. I, I never, you know, I was looking into a therapist and then I started researching and I found out it's, it's a nor normally victims of violent crime. But in a way, what Mayor did to me was like emotionally violent. It's emotional you know? like violence. A, yeah. Yeah. Because four years, this woman was my best friend and like a sister and I would have given my life for her. I thought I knew everything about her, but my God, it was all a lie. Nothing was real. Nothing was real. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that Mayor Smith absolutely infiltrated your heart, Yeah, which, which cuts so deep. So I don't blame you for having those dark fantasies. And the yeah. thing is, what I will share with you is that there, there was a source who, re, who reached out to me, used to work for Bellum. And this person says, you know, I'm admitting to you that I base, you know, I'm having, I have very uh, inappropriate thoughts about revenge against Mary Carroll. <laughs> and that's all this person said. And it didn't, you know, they didn't share details, but I completely understood it. I completely yeah. understood it, the rage and the, and, and, you know, with Mayor Smith, Smith, you know, especially she really did infiltrate your heart. She, yeah. she, she played on your vulnerabilities. She bonded with you and she gotcha. And then she just completely Manipula manipulated the shit out of you, yeah. took your money, which you had to file BK and it completely just, you know, Ru ruined you financially, at least for the moment. Yeah. Uh, and you're probably still dealing with the after effects of that. Yeah. I'm slowly rebuilding credit and stuff, but yeah, filing for bankruptcy is, you know, its own devastation because for the rest of your life, you just look irresponsible. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember when I was going to hire someone and now I background check everyone because I'm a freak. Yes. And I recommend freakiness for everyone. I literally background check everyone who comes into my life now. Yeah. And this one guy that I was going to hire for something, I found that he had filed for bankruptcy and it, it turned me off of him because I'm, because I was going to hire him as a line producer and line producers on TV shows, they they're in charge of the money. And I thought, I don't want anyone on a show in charge of money who, who can't handle their personal finances, but that's, and I realized how two faced that is because sure. I filed for bankruptcy, but it had, I was robbed. So it had nothing, you know, like mm -hmm. maybe I should have given him another chance or whatever, but uh, a bankruptcy filing is a permanent, you know, black mark on your, on your record forever. It's so true. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, before we wrap up, I kind of want to know what is next for you? What is next for the podcast? Do you have any TV plans for it? Being <laughs> that you're in the biz, let's talk. <laughs> yes, I have tons of TV plans. Um, but what's that famous saying? You want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. <laughs> 
my husband's from Argentina and there's a, a Spanish version of that that I, I, he says all the time. But yeah, I mean, you know, there's a, hopefully a scripted series in the works, hopefully a non-scripted series in the works, and hopefully, hopefully another season of Queen of the Con, fingers crossed, about another con artist. I mean, con artists are everywhere. And you know, I get asked all the time, um, what's with con artists? They're everywhere nowadays. I don't think they're actually everywhere nowadays. I think they've always been everywhere, but people have been so reluctant to talk about their experience for instance, my own freaking mother got conned by a professional con artist who masqueraded as her friend and was conning not only her, but everyone in her social group. Nobody was talking about it. And she That's got away spot free. Yep. And my mom never told me this for decades until I came out with my story. Then my mom one day is like, you know, that kind of happened to me uh, with this other woman. And she told me the woman's name. Melody is the woman's name. And I'm like, Melody scammed you? Like, and you never told, she never told anybody. Yeah. It, but, it's, we, the, I think that victims carry shame. Yeah. It's something yeah. that they, and you know, it, it isn't until other people start talking about it that they feel brave exactly. enough to go, you know what? It happened to me too. So you're yeah. right. I don't think the scam artist just popped up out of nowhere. They've been here for centuries, I'm sure. But it's, oh, yeah. It, now I mean, the it's earliest just, con dates back to ancient Greece, uh, 300 BC, where a couple of, of sailors took out what was tantamount to like an insurance policy in a boat with supplies and then sunk it to try to collect the money without giving over the supplies. And they all, one of them died doing that, but that's like the oldest recorded con in history. So it's been, a, you know, they say prostitution is the oldest profession, but I think it's con artistry, you know, lying to trick people out of money is as old as time. Agreed. Yeah. Jonathan, where can people find you? I'm right here. <laughs> He's right here in front of me. I can see. I've got everything. a website, uh, jonathanwalton.com, and I own any version of Jonathan you can spell, just in case. <laughs> Yours and, is a little yeah. different, a little different. Yeah, I'm J O H N A T H A N, but I also own J O N A T H A N. So N J O N A T H O N. So, you know, you take- are so freaking thorough. Like, that is just <laughs> something. It's so, like, I'm serious. That, like, I wish I was a psychologist because I could just, like, break it all down. But that you are definitely tenacious, thorough, um, kind of like you just a hard driver. Like, I feel like you'll just never stop. You're like a dog with a bone. I am. And you know what, what brings me peace and joy now is thinking that when I met Mayor Smith in May of 2013, I mean, I, she probably got off on the fact that I had no idea she was going to scam me big time. And that probably brought her joy. But I recently realized, well, you know what? she had no idea that I'd be the one to put her in jail mm-hmm. and I'd be the one to broadcast her image all over the freaking world and, and out her as a con artist and make her life difficult. So she can't scam anybody. Um, so that, that brings me, you know, satisfaction that, yeah, she, I had no idea what I was walking into, but you know what? Neither did she. Absolutely. She had no clue that you would turn that shit around back on her and get her behind bars and good for you. Bravo. Like very, very well done in the podcast, queen of the con season one. I interviewed dozens of victims, even her own daughter, her childhood friend. There was a guy. So one of Mayor's scams, if you recall, was to play mentally ill and she wound up in a, in a mental institution and she was scamming another mental patient. You know, it's just, She'll never stop. These people, no. they're not human. They will never stop. Mary Carroll is probably scamming some chic in Dubai right now. Trust me, we have evidence that she's still running scams and creating LLCs and 
doing shady shit, wherever the hell she is. If she's in Dubai, Colorado, I don't freaking know. Um, I go back and forth between that, but I have had so much fun talking to you. I couldn't wait for this interview because I truly love your podcast, Queen of the Con. Everybody should listen to it. It is absolutely fascinating. Season two is just as good as season one, which I think is rare. It's hard to duplicate when you found gold. And I think you found gold in season one and in your story about Mayor Smith. So everybody should listen. And, you know, Jonathan, I'll be in touch. You haven't haven't heard the last of me. Likewise, I'll be in touch. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure seeing this beautiful face uh, that I listened to in your podcast. And um, congratulations on all your success. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Dirty Money Moves is a collaboration between Murderish and Cloud 10 Media. Executive producers are myself, Jamie Rice, and Sim Sarna. Sean Bannon did the audio mixing and editing for this episode. Josh Cook composed the music. Brian Stefanik created the podcast cover art, and the podcast is co-produced by Cloud10 Media. Follow us at Dirty Money Moves on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. If you like the show, please do us the biggest favor by reviewing the podcast and leaving us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now because even four stars isn't good enough for the heiress. If you're into true crime, check out my other podcast, Murderish. If you have information about this story that you'd like to share, please visit Murderish.com and hit the contact button to send us an email. Also, if you or anyone you know have been scammed or were the victim of a white collar crime and you'd like help getting answers or justice, please contact us via Murderish.com. We're looking for cases to cover in season two of Dirty Money Moves. Thanks for listening and see you next week for a brand new episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.